a few, what, four pages in your Bible. I don't necessarily know. So if you've got your Bible, um, I'd love for you to turn to 1 Peter with me. We're going to spend the next few, several weeks working down through this, uh, this, this scripture together. Um, if you don't know how to get there, turn to the book of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible, and then go back 10 pages or so. That's what it is in my Bible, at least. You go back 10 pages, you'll find yourself at 1 Peter. Um, and if you're on your version app, just just type in First Peter. Um, anyway, um, once in a while we go through just books of the Bible together, and uh, I think it's important that we that we do that. That we don't just take kind of like topical studies of like, hey, let's talk about this, let's talk about fear, let's talk about anxiety, let's talk about these different things, but that we would walk down through uh, a scripture together because many times. When, uh, when we walk down through a scripture, uh, God has things to, that he wants to talk about that we don't necessarily, we, we wouldn't choose, let's just say that. And uh, I can't think of a better book to go through than, than First Peter right now. Um, and, and, and we'll get into it, and I, I, I just, I'm excited about what it is that I think God has to say to us. But uh, this, this book was written by, you guessed it, Peter. Um, the Apostle Peter, that's who wrote this, this, uh, this letter. Peter is known, if you've read through the Gospels, he's known to be kind of a, a hot-headed guy. He's, he's very relatable because he just says whatever probably the rest of us are really thinking, but he had no problem just like blurting it out. Uh, Peter was a career fisherman, and um, he said and did some pretty boneheaded things. Jesus even had to call him out a bunch of times um, of things that, that he said and did. Peter's kind of unrefined. He's kind of gritty. Um, and you'll see that. And we'll work down through that. Even as we go through his letter, we'll find that he's just, he's not afraid to just tackle some hard topics and, and things that, that we don't necessarily um, like about life. And uh, he uh, essentially probably wouldn't fit in in a churchy church. Like he's, he's kind of his own person. He spent arguably more time with Jesus than most of the other 12 disciples. Uh, he was kind of in Jesus' uh, inner circle. Jesus imparted and poured into him specifically and personally. He even changed his name. Simon, he used to be known as Simon, and then, you know, Jesus says, I'm not going to call you Simon. You're now known as Peter. And so many times in the New Testament, we hear him actually referred to as Simon Peter. Um, Jesus changed his life and turned his life upside down. And now Peter writes to this church, these people, these Christians who have had their world turned upside down. These are the people that First Peter is for. They are scattered. They're, they're scattered because of persecution, so they're living in many different areas. And so he writes this letter to them. And uh, they've, been, they've been essentially left with a whole bunch of questions which is kind of like ones that maybe we're wondering right now, which is like, what are we supposed to do now? What, what um, or how am I supposed to respond to the difficulties that are in front of me as a Christian? What does that look like for me? And uh, if you've asked any of those questions over the past six months, then First Peter is for you. I just believe that this is a now word, a now uh, letter for us, for the church. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do. Um, just to give you some context, Peter's going to be offering us some hope and some direction in the midst of trying times and difficult times. Uh, it's, it's believed that he actually was crucified 
upside down because he, he refused to die the way that his Savior did just like one or two years after he wrote this letter. So, so this is a guy who understands hardship. This is a guy who understands persecution. He understands what it's like to go and have questions and struggles and hard times. And I think given this current political climate that we're in right now, I don't know if you noticed, things are kind of tense. A bit, right? A little, little polarized, I don't know. Um, people not kind of seeing things the same way, kind of scattered, uh, maybe not geographically, but at least, you know, politically speaking. I think that this is a great letter for us um, to, to just grab some application from 2,000 years ago for our lives today. So um, let's get started. And, and we're going to read down through 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read 12, the first 12 verses and then walk down through it together. So um, if you're here in one of our in-person um, venues or even if you're at home, I'd love if you just stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. I would really appreciate that. Because um, let's face it, uh, God's Word is a whole lot more powerful than anything that I might have to say. So uh, we're going to be going through this together. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he starts out not by saying, dear so-and-so. He's like, this is who I am, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, to the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would come it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray, I pray you'd help me to preach your word um, in all of its fullness today. And uh, God, I pray you have your way in us as a people I pray that the words that you had Peter pen all, all, almost 2,000 years ago would ring true in our ears today as an application for us as a church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> 
A lot has happened over the past six months. A lot has happened over the past six months. Uh, the beginning of 2020, I don't think any of us would be thinking that a niche market would be customized masks for people. Um, in January, you may remember, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan stepped out of the royal family. That was big news in January. We were like, oh, and then we forgot about it. Um, in February, President Trump was impeached and then acquitted. That was big news in February. In March, then known as the coronavirus, now known as COVID-19, shut pretty much everything down and everyone stayed home watching Tiger King on Netflix. <laughs> it's true. Um, in March, uh, excuse me, in May, uh, we were worried then that murder hornets were going to be killing us next. Um, and most of us saw that YouTube video, which was horrific, of that murder hornet killing a nice little mouse. Um, and then since June, and now even to today, there have been protests and riots all over the nation and even all over the entirety of the world after uh, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. I mean, like crazy stuff happening over the, just the past six months. And that's just literally a thumbnail sketch. Some things that are important, other things like uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, maybe not so much. Um, what's interesting is way back in April, the, the Pentagon did something unexpected. And you may remember this. They decided to release three videos of UFOs. Does anybody remember that? I mean, I know we had a whole bunch of stuff going on and you were glued to the rising and fall of numbers. I, I get it. But like it, way back in April, they, they released the, uh, the, the footage of these three UFOs. And I'm not quite sure about the timing or why they did it. Um, maybe it was to simply know they, they figured that we needed to be scared about one more thing, right? You know, I mean, if you're not scared about murder hornets, they don't scare you enough. And COVID-19, then, then just beware of aliens, right, that are going to, that are going to be attacking you. And they didn't even try to do their normal thing, which is like explain it away. It's like, well, it was a weather balloon, whatever those are. I don't even know what those are, but it's what they've always been said. It was a drone or something like that. They're just like, look, here are the videos. Decide if it's an alien spacecraft or not. We don't care. Like it was just, they just threw it out there. And then, and then like a week later, we're, it was old news. We're onto something else. And, um, the title of my message today, the reason I bring that up is the title of my message is Resident Aliens. Resident Aliens. Um, no, I am not trying to resurrect an um, episode of Ancient Aliens for you today. I'm not an ancient alien theorist, nor am I even going to be getting into UFOs and aliens today. Um, it comes out of the scripture in 1 Peter, and it's essentially what he calls these people, these Christians, that he's writing to. Resident aliens. Now, it may not be exactly that way in your scripture, but take a look at verse one. He talks about who he's writing to. He says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's, and then he says this, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, he's writing to Christians who have been scattered all over the place. Now, let me, let me, let me kind of line this out for you. So if you are, find yourself in a country, in a place that is not your home, 
you're, you're kind of one of three different things. The first one you could possibly be is an immigrant, okay? You find yourself in a place that, that isn't your home, you're from someplace else, and now you find yourself in a new country. Um, an immigrant is somebody who seeks to uh, make a new country their now permanent home. And so they come in, and, and maybe, you know, my, um, my great-grandfather, Jeremiah Sweeney, came over on a boat from Ireland and decided uh, that he wanted to make this new country of America in upstate New York his home. And so worked at learning the language and wanted to become a citizen and build a life in this new home. Hebrews 13, verse 14, says this. Paul writes, For this world is not our permanent home, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. And we see this all throughout Scripture. You know, you know, Jesus alludes to it. Paul talks about it. Now Peter's even alluding to this idea like you, this world is not your permanent home. You're called to something greater. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a resident alien, right? And so as an immigrant here, if we kind of look at that, it's you know, the way that we are as Christians in our world today. We may know that we're citizens of heaven. Like, yes, I get it. I, I know that, you know, one day in the sweet by and by that I'm going to be in, with Jesus in heaven. But the temptation is that we treat this world as our permanent home. We wouldn't maybe necessarily say that, but, but the way that we spend our money, the way that we uh, spend our time, um, the way that we, uh, the, the things that concern us and kind of cause us anxiety would actually communicate that this world is all that there is. And this is it. Like this, there's not really much outside of that. And we can become immigrants in how we interact with the world around us as Christians. The, the second thing you could be is a tourist. If you find yourself in a place, you, make, you, know, you travel, whether that is someplace in the United States or you travel to Italy or France or something like that, um, and you, you, you're, you're just visiting, right? You're, you're a tourist. You're not looking to, to make any sort of long-lasting connections. You, this is not your home. You don't go to France for the week and think, this is my new home. No, you're like, this is cool. I don't know any French. I'm probably just going to hang out with people that I know that speak my same language and we'll go and we'll see the sights and then, and then we'll go home. But we're just, we're just visiting, right? There's the, that's, that's not really what, what this thing is all about. We're not immigrants here. And this can be how sometimes Christians treat the world around them. We're kind of like, okay, well, I'm separated, I'm insulated, I'm disconnected, I'm, I'm a tourist in a strange land. In other words, this is kind of what we do when we do go on these, these trips and buses, right? We're all with a bunch of people that speak our same language, and they're like, get out of the bus, and we're at the next buffet. And we go into the buffet, and we go, and we, we talk to all the people that we know, and people try talking the other language, and we're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, and we do our thing, and we go look at, and we take pictures and stuff, and then we go home because we know we're tourists. We're not trying to make this into our home. And then there's this, this third option, and this is the one that, that Peter's talking about here in verse 1. And we call it being in exile. In exile. This is a person who knows that their home is actually elsewhere, and they can't wait to go back there. But for the time being, they, they have to make their new home in this new place. 
They, they know that they're just kind of passing through, that they're sojourners. They know that they can't wait for the day when they can actually go back to the place that is truly their home. But they're kind of in this place where it's like, well, I, I'm going to make some relationships and put my kids in the school and I'm going I'm to find this new community. And, but I don't want to get too attached because all the while I'm yearning for the day when I can finally return to my real home. And Peter, if you see this in verse 1, he actually calls them these two words. He calls them elect exiles. A another way of saying it would be what I titled the message today, resident aliens. And if you put these two words together, you're like, you juxtapose them, they're like, it's like an oxymoron because it doesn't make sense. They're, they're very different words, resident alien, elect exile, because elect means that in God, you're accepted. In God, you're adopted. In, in God, you are home. And yet exile means that in this world, you are not home. In this world, you're kicked out, you're rejected, you're unwelcome, you're kind of a nomad, and, and you don't really have a place. And this is, this is kind of the premise of who Peter is writing to, elect exiles, resident aliens. And it's the premise that he's going to be building on over the next several weeks as we read down through this letter. These two words, elect exiles, resident aliens. He's speaking to a church, to a people, citizens of heaven that have a great inheritance, yet they're scattered. They're not home. They're, they're exiled. They're aliens. They're, they're living in places that are not their home. And can I remind you, church, we are resident aliens. In other words, like this is not your permanent home. If you are saved, God has prepared a place for you. And that's an exciting thing. And essentially what he's saying, like don't act like this is all that there is. And, and because of this, you should be weird. Some of you are like, got that covered, right? The person next to you, you're like, got a weirdo right over here, right? I mean, you should, not just weird for weird's sake, but you should be different. Why? Because you're an exile. You're a resident alien. You're not an immigrant. You're not a tourist. You're literally coming in. You know that this is not your permanent home, but you're making this your home, but you're different. Why? Because your identity is different. Like where you're headed, who you are and whose you are defines you. There's a powerful kind of idea that, that uh, Peter's kind of bringing out to these people. He's saying you ought to be different. So don't be concerned that you're different. Be concerned when you're not. That's what you should be like, hmm. I should be thinking differently, acting differently, being different than the world around me. Because let me remind you, your identity is first rooted as a citizen of heaven. And this is, this is where it gets dicey for us, especially in this culture that we're in right now. The polarization, the divisiveness, all of those things. Hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. If, if our primary identity is first rooted as a citizen of heaven, then that means that it is not primarily that you are an American Christian or that you're a Republican Christian, or that you're a Democratic Christian. 
I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm not saying you don't fight for those things. I'm not saying that the sacrifices of the soldiers past that are defending and defend the rights that we, that we are afforded to in America are not important. But what I'm saying is, is that we are first and foremost rooted in an identity that transcends all of that. You're a Christian who happens to live in America, which is an awesome thing. But you could be a Christian who happens to live in North Korea. You could be a Christian who happens to live in Bithynia. You're a Christian who happens to live in Morocco. That is your first priority. In other words, your Americanness should always take second place to your Christianness. It should be different, odd, weird. And so these people, they're scattered. And, and maybe I, I kind of feel like we're scattered right now. Like I feel like we're kind of polarized in a country, you know, that is, you know, virtually every level we find that people are just on opposite ends of spectrums. But he's like, but your identity is never scattered your identity, you carry that with you wherever you go. Do you know that you were meant to carry the presence of God wherever you go? That means when you go into your school, you carry the presence of God. When you go into your work, you carry the presence of God. When you come into a place of worship, you carry the presence of God. You carry the presence of God wherever you go. In other words, your citizenship never is scattered. Even though you may be in a different place, even though you may be at home right now, even though you may be in different places, even politically, you carry the presence of God everywhere you go. And that is the most important citizenship that we have. That we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's huge. And then he continues in verse three. And and I love this. He gets really excited. I mean, he breaks right in. I mean, he gets two verses in, now he's in verse three, and he's like, I got exclamation points. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through his resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. He's like, look, you guys got an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I mean, this is an epic opening. He could literally just drop the mic and be like, there, there. But he's writing this letter to people that are suffering. They're being persecuted. They are, they are struggling. They're scattered. They are not in their home, and they feel alone. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I'm like, why does he open up like this? Because I would think if he was writing to us, or if he was writing to me right now, I, I would want him to identify the plight that I'm in first. I would hope that, you know, if, as, as he starts out, he'd be like, hey, you know, Peter, apostle, you know, apostle of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, I heard about COVID-19 and masks and mills and Trump, and I heard about the economy and the Democrats and the Republicans, and I heard about murder hornets, and woo, and I heard about the news, and I've seen, and, and, and Prince Harry and Meghan, I know about all those things, and I've seen the struggle, and I know what's going on, but my, the, the maddening thing is that Peter doesn't even address it. He just doesn't even glance at it. Just goes right into praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I think what he knows is that what we actually need, what we actually need is to be reminded of who we are in Christ, whose we are, and where we're headed. And this is the message of Peter. That, 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 that they needed to be reminded that they were in this world, 
but this world was not their home, that they were citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he resurrects us. I think Peter knows that they needed to be reminded that they were, yes, born as citizens of this world order, but they were born again as citizens of the king of heaven. And, and he says that essentially in Christ, our living hope does not die, does not spoil, and does not fade. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? It kind of reminds me of Jesus' words when he says in John 16, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Kind of wish that it said, in this world, you won't have trouble, but he does. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. And so this hope that, that, that Peter's talking about, this hope that Jesus talks about isn't in the things of this world. It's not like, man, I, I, I hope that this next you know, news conference is going to be different. I, I, God, I hope that this changes. Lord, I hope that these, this, this change, I, I hope that this is not the same. He's like, your hope is not up and down. You have a living hope. You have a living hope. And, and this hope doesn't rise and fall in a news conference or an elected official or a job or a savings account or even a vaccine. We have a living hope, a hope that is fixed beyond our circumstances that even, he says, that even death can't touch it. Can't touch it. This living hope is not a sedative. It's a shot of adrenaline. This is not a, well, you know, I just want the sweet by and by. You know, one day when Jesus calls me home, I'll finally get away from all this horrible life and then I'll be, get to be with Jesus in heaven. He's like, no, no, no. This is something to get excited about right now. This is something to be overjoyed in even in the midst of whatever the situation in the, that is going on in your life. And I want to challenge you. As you read down through verses three through five, are you stunned are, 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 you, are, are, are you just really captivated by the beauty of these three verses? Because you ought to be. I mean, this ought to be like, my goodness, this is an amazing thing that I get to be a part of. I just celebrated uh, 20 years of, of marriage um, this, this past week. Ah, thanks. Appreciate it. You should clap for her. Um, and... You know, I was thinking about, my goodness, 20 years. Like, it's like half of my life I've been married. And um, just, just recounting all of that and thinking about why I got married in the first place. Let me tell you why. I didn't get married because of rules and regulation. Oh, you know, we've been dating. We should probably ought to do this. I mean, you want to, I guess. Maybe we should. You know, no, 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 that's not how it happened. Like, how it happened was that I just fell in love with a drop-dead gorgeous girl who loved Jesus and treated me better than anyone had ever treated me. And you get this, like, this sense of, like, I can't help myself but fall in love. And I think that even when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, let me, let me remind you, Christian, that it should not be the fear of hell that captivates you. 
Because when we, when we think about this, this love, this grace, this mercy that is completely outlandish and you definitely don't deserve, and I, don't, I know I don't know you, but I know you don't, like this, th- you don't deserve this, and God, yet he loves you even when you don't love him, and, and it's, it's, it goes before you even when you don't even want it. Like he loves you. It's this, you get this, uh, this sense of I can't help myself but to fall in love with a God like this. And I just want to encourage you, when was the last time that you were just stunned and captivated by the love of God in your life? Like, I know we've been stunned and captivated by all the things that are going on around us, but when, when did you just sit back and just read verses 3 through 5 and just say, God, that is crazy. And I don't even think I understand it because there's some big words in there, but I want to understand it. This, this is outlandish, this love that you have that changes Everything. Everything. And he continues in verse 6. He says, he keeps on. He's like, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In other words, he's like, I know times are tough, but like, don't forget to remember. Maybe that would just be something, if you could take anything away today, please don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember whose you are and who you are in him and where you're headed. Don't forget to remember that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, first and foremost. It's where you're headed. And you're not an immigrant and you're not a tourist. You're a resident alien, a sojourner, passing through. But you know where your home is, where you're called to. So don't allow uh, the, the bad news to drown out the good news. He goes on in verse 7. He says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, and then he says, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, look at this, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, that is, he just keeps going on. And the difficulty is that essentially what Paul is saying, and this is where the rub comes, people. This is it. He's saying that trials and pain expose where your hope really is. kind of laid bare. And he uses this illustration of like refining gold, right? Remember back in the 90s, we used to sing this song, Refiner's Fire. Remember that song? You're like, that's my song. Bring it back. Bring it back, Zach. Um, that was like a big thing, this whole idea that like God would use the refining of, of difficulty to, to purify us. He uses this illustration, essentially, that what he's telling us is that God uses trials to turn up the heat (laughs) so high that it brings to the surface things that are not great, impurities. And maybe over the past six months, you've noticed this in yourself. And maybe it's not just what, the, what we've been experiencing as a nation. Maybe it's just things that you've experienced in your life that when the heat gets turned up, all of a sudden you realize you're not doing your best self right now. 
You're not living your best life right now. If you asked your husband or your wife, they would probably agree, right? But there's this reality that, that God uses pain and difficulties to turn up the heat so that things come to the surface. Now, this is where it changes, though. Listen, Satan wants to use life's trials to bring the worst out of us. And in many ways, he does a pretty good job at it. But God wants to use life's trials to purify us. Two different things. Satan likes to dig up your dirt, and it's very easy to dig up people's dirt. But God is like, I want to mine the gold out of you. The hard part is this, that both of these experiences are painful. Trials and difficulties are painful. The process is the same either way. There's no way around it. It all depends on where you're putting your hope and your trust in. Either pain, difficulties, and trials will burn you or they'll purify you. Either they'll dig up the dirt or they'll be used as an opportunity for God to be able to bring about a change that's needed in your life. It's a powerful reality. It's not a popular reality, but it's powerful. And Peter's like, look, if you put your hope and your trust in me, then I can take your trial and turn it into a triumph. And he continues. He ends this section in verse 10. He says this, concerning this salvation, what we've just been talking about, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. In other words, he's like, you all, we all are living in unprecedented times. We hear that word a lot, don't we? This is unprecedented times, right? Like we're an unprecedented. The reality is, is that in this new experience that we have, in this new covenant with God, this is an unprecedented times. I love how verse 12 ends. Catch this. He says, even angels long to look into these things. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he's talking about like this new covenant that is available to you and isn't it so amazing and you know, people have been prophesying out it from years past and they wish that they had what you have but now you're living in it and I'm telling you, this is so stinking amazing that even angels are like, man, I wish I had that. Do you know that angels are jealous of what you get to experience? Well, that's crazy. Think about that for a second because I always think angels have it made. I mean, they, they got a better deal going on, right? I mean, it depends on kind of how you look at, you know, where you watch your angel stuff. You watch Touched by an Angel on Hallmark, you know, you're like, oh, you know, you like that. Or some of you are like, I like Frank Peretti's book, This Present Darkness, right? Either way, however you look at angels, you're like, man, these guys rock it. Some of them got wings, some got swords, Sometimes they're invisible, other times not. Like, how cool is this? They have this connection with God in this other heavenly realm that, that we can't see or feel. Like, you'd think, man, they, they got this thing nailed. But here's the cool thing. Angels long to have what is available to a born-again Christian. 
which begs the question, am I tapping into all that is available in this deal? I mean, if angels are jealous of what I have, am I living in this living hope that's available to us as Christians? Are we accessing all that is available as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Am I living as an immigrant or a tourist in this world, or am I living as a resident alien, a sojourner that's making my temporary home here, but I cannot wait? Everything I look towards, the way I invest, the way I use my time, the way I talk to people, the way I treat others, everything is out of this identity that is, that is there. Kingdom of heaven. Man, it changes everything. It changes everything. Am I acting as an immigrant or a tourist rather than a resident alien? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to read it in the message paraphrase because I love the way that it's written. He says this, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Pretty much just, it's a mirror of what Peter wrote. May I remind you, Christian, that in Christ, even bad news is always leading us to the good news. No matter what it is that comes up, when we see it as even hearing Tammy Florence's testimony of all of this stuff that she's been dealing with over the past years, we see it in, in, in our lives right now, or maybe in, in failed marriages, things that are going on in your own life. This reality that we are not tourists, we are not immigrants. We're resident aliens, and my citizenship is in heaven. And I'm here until God calls me home. And I can't wait for that day. It's what Paul always said. He'd say, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Either way, I win. Either way, I got the best deal, and angels are jealous of it. It's an amazing thing. Why don't you stand with me? In a moment, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. So if, uh, if you're joining us online, make sure you grab some bread or crackers, uh, some juice, whatever you've got handy, that you can just be a part with us. And if you came in today and you received one of these kind of prepackaged deals, uh, there's a piece of cellophane on top. It's clear. So there's like two layers. Take off the clear one first if you, can, if you can get it off, and then you'll take out the wafer. You'll see it. I honestly can't think of a better way to exemplify the beauty, the unity, the oneness of the body of Christ than to receive communion together. Like we're truly scattered right now, even right now, like even physically right now, where some of us are in our main auditorium, some of us are in our student center, some of us are at home watching from 
all over southern Maine and New Hampshire, Massachusetts, New York, and beyond, people that are tuning in from all over the place. And so we're not in one room at one time in one place. But we're not immigrants. And we're not tourists. We are and we always will be elect exiles. Resident aliens until God calls us home. So I believe that, that Peter would probably agree with this statement. Don't waste a crisis. Don't waste a crisis. Make sure that the pain, the hardship, the, the trials that you're walking through today don't burn you, but they purify you. Satan would love to use it to burn you, to dig up your dirt. But God says, I actually raise the heat up and I allow things in your life to happen, not so that I can dig up dirt, but that I can mine the gold out of you and that I can purify you to bring about more of my son in you. Because that's who you are. That's how he sees you. And so my prayer is that, you know, one of the things that I've seen, you know, during this time of uncertainty and difficulty in our church, in our nation, all of that, is that, you know, God is using the fear of death to wake us up to what is truly life. Why am I here? What am I doing? What's, what's the purpose of all this? I feel like I'm running around. And God's like, where does your help come from? comes from heaven, the maker of heaven and earth. And I pray that, that these disappointments and difficulties in the world that we're living in right now lose their sting because of the undying, unfading, unspoiled, living hope that we have in Christ. Let's focus in on that. And as we receive communion today, I, here's, here's my prayer, no matter where you're at right now, I, my prayer is that as we receive communion is that you would be stunned, captivated by this crazy love of God. It doesn't even make sense that it's outlandish and you certainly don't deserve it. I would just say, allow God to stun you again, to captivate your mind with what is available through him. Paul wrote, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've prepared a place for us. I thank you that we have a living hope that is not dictated by 
anything in our world that is around us, that we have a living hope that is dictated by the good news of Jesus Christ, and that through his resurrection, you resurrect us. Lord, we thank you that we know where our help comes from. It comes from you, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Lord, I pray that we would be stunned and captivated again by your grace, your love, your mercy, that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, I thank you that you show up in the most unlikely places. And as we go through our life, you say that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Lord, help us to realize that we are not immigrants. This is not our home. We are not tourists. We're not supposed to just kind of, you know, seclude and isolate and do our own thing, but that we are alien exiles, resident aliens, that we are called by you, accepted, adopted, and yet also living in a place that is not our home. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would lift up our eyes so that we would keep our eyes on the horizon from whence our help comes from. Lord, I thank you that you are more than enough. And like these people scattered that Peter is writing to, God, I pray that we would be unified under the one banner that does unify us, is that we are all children of the Most High King. Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for that. May we never forget it. May we never forget to remember. May we never forget to remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for joining us in all of the different venues and church at home. Uh, Love you. God bless you. Have a great week.